And now we are recording. So testing, testing. Testing, one, two, three. One, two, three. What's your name and why are you here? My name is Douglas Witkowski. I'm here with my sister. Um, but why are you here? Why are we here for beer? Have a drink. <laughs> I recorded this little snippet back in April on a cloudy day out in the hill country of Texas. Yeah, so we are here at Family Business Brewing Company, FBBC, uh, better known as Jensen's Brewery. It's actually called Family Business Beer Company, not brewing. And while I'd like to blame inebriation for the misspeak, it was still much too early in the night to make that excuse. Uh, It just opened. We've got our first drink. We're sitting outside because it's loud as hell inside, but it's, it's overcast. Um, high ceiling of clouds. Looks like it could rain, but not imminently. Like, it needs to get a lot darker if I was going to think it's going to rain. On that day in April, we had arrived promptly at 6 p.m. for a members-only private event, better known as the family reunion. Normally, an overcast day in central Texas means you can actually sit outside without frying in the sun. But even with a plethora of tables available outside— Most of the attendees were packed into the red barn-like structure that serves as the brewery and tap room. Listening to live music, standing in line for a new pint, and generally milling around, hoping to catch a glimpse into the production space where most suspected to see a recognizable face. Of course, not everyone was straining to sneak a peek at Jensen Ackles. We uh, cater to, to a variety of different people. Of course, a lot of the locals have no idea about the affiliation with with uh, with Jensen or the show or anything along that line, and, uh, and and we love that too. Meet Gino. My name is Gino Grawl. I'm the CEO at Family Business Beer Company. While fandom folks might refer to the brewery as Jensen's project, that's not really the case. But yeah, the, the name family business is kind of twofold. So uh, originally, the, the founding members were uh, Daniil and, and Jensen Ackles, my parents, Ed and Debbie Grawl, and then myself. And um, so th- those, were, those were the original family members. The brewery was Gino's conception, supported by his parents, his sister Daniil, and his brother-in-law Jensen. So today on In Defense of Fandom, I want to take a peek into what it's like to be on the other side of fandom. What's it like to have family go in with you on this venture like starting up a brewery? And how does having a famous brother-in-law affect the business? Perhaps we should start with how family business came to be. You can see Austin from here and... Daniel's uncle owns the land next door. Um, he owns about 375 acres, and he's got the highest point in Travis County. When I visited FBBC for the family reunion, I managed to snag a picnic table outside in their oak grove to have a chat with Debbie, Gino and Daniel's mother. Their parents made the trip from Louisiana to help get the brewery ready for the party. And yes, they were really there to be put to work mostly with hand-labeling bottles of the barrel-aged imperial stout. My husband and I labeled probably 600 bottles, I'd say, yesterday. You're kidding. Hand? No, were you hand doing it by hand? Yes, and so if they're really neat, <laughs> I did them. If they're a little bit crooked, he did them. It was the connection to Debbie's family that led Gino to finding the location for the brewery. Our uncle, John, actually owns some, some property out here in the hill country, and so I was giving him a hand. We were clearing some land, cutting some, some trails on his property, and uh, as he was leaving the site, 
he drives past his next door neighbor's house and there's a realtor putting a sign out in the front yard that says coming to market soon. So we were like, oh, it's kismet. It, it's it's going to be perfect. And so uh, so that's how we ended up with this location here in uh, in Dripping Springs. That explains how they settled in Dripping Springs. But it's far from the whole story. My own husband started an alcohol-based venture of his own. Check them out if you get the chance. Chicago Cane Cooperative, like sugarcane. Anyways, I know from firsthand experience that there's tons of hoops to jump through before you can even get started. And, it, and it's highly regulated, as y'all know. Just having to kind of uh, weave our way through all the, the political side of it and permitting and all that. And then being in the Hill Country, we're also in an environmentally sensitive area. So over the Edwards Aquifer recharging zone. The Edwards Aquifer is a geological region in central Texas where groundwater is absorbed down into the limestone bedrock into these underground caves filled with water. The aquifer is where much of central Texas drinking water is pulled from, so recharge zones are regulated to make sure no toxins are filtering in as well. Anyways, Texas hydrogeology tangent aside. You know, we went through the, the multicolor yellow and red tape and all this kind of stuff, and it took a couple of years, honestly, to get our, our building permit. So we bought the land in 2015, brought on our head brewer, Nate Seal, in 2016. Oh, and of course there wasn't just a brewery with all the necessary equipment already on site. Debbie and her husband were there from the beginning to help turn a ranch property into a brewery destination. Um, I was on a tractor. Uh, I brought my tractor and I was in that field where people park for 29 days bush hogging and picking up rocks. So it's a big wall that I made that rock. Everybody, Gino cut hundreds of limbs off of branches of trees and everything. And then we bush hogged all back in here and we really got it, everybody pitched in. And uh, it, like I said, Daniil's, Daniil's planting plants, Jensen's putting lights up. Light. Yeah, everybody's doing something, you know. Oh, and I should mention the property wasn't exactly unoccupied. But she didn't take the horses and it was like, okay, well, there was corrals and there was all kinds, I mean, it was a real farm with, well, a real ranch, I should right. say, with animals. But it was just, they had three horses here and it was like, okay, so I don't know anything about horses, but I know they need to eat. The previous owner had sold the land and moved away, but she had left several horses behind on the property, including one that was very pregnant. She was a, a mare, that uh, a breed mare, and she was just as wild as she could be, and she was this wild, she was so pregnant. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, we need to figure out this because we're not horsey people. We I'm not sure it was ever Gino's intention, but Debbie's first thought was that having animals could be a fun added attraction. We at first thought, oh, it'd be so sweet. The kids could pet the horses. A little petting zoo in the back yeah, of the park. Yeah, yeah, we'll like... get all kind of goats and stuff like that. And then we start thinking, hmm, maybe that's not such a good idea. People drinking and horses and mm -hmm. kids. And... After some family deliberation, Daniil came up with a better solution. Daniil thought about this and said, Mom, there's a place that um, takes horses for handicapped children. So why don't we donate these animals? So that's yeah. what we did. We donated the horse and the baby. She also had a, about a one-year-old baby. And so that one was named Lucky. I don't remember the mom's name. They were all registered Appaloosa horses. Gotta say, I'm a little jealous that I never got to visit the horses, but I agree they might not be best paired with a lot of day drinking. So anyways, 
back on the brewery side, Gino at least had the old owner's home to use as a base of operations, as he and head brewer Nate set up how the brewery would be built and organized. Uh, I was actually living upstairs so I could oversee the, the, the build out, the building and all that. And then, you know, just come downstairs in the morning. Nate was an early bird, so he'd always be there. And then, you know, we'd just sit there uh, across, across the table from each other and just, you know, start building this brewery on our heads because we didn't have the permits yet. And so we spent at least, uh, it was almost two years. Finally, in January of 2018, Family Business Beer Company opened their doors. So that's the tightly abbreviated story of how FBBC started. But to clarify, I knew literally none of this the first time I visited family business. I think it was in the fall of 2019 over Thanksgiving break with my family. Our original plans for a pre-dinner drink fell through and I found a new brewery on Google Maps that was a barely 15 minute drive from my childhood home. We rolled in, enjoyed a beer or two, and heard the bartender tell us about how the brewery was co-owned by a famous actor. To which I simply shrugged and went about enjoying my drink. (sighs) It's a little embarrassing to realize in hindsight. Like, I could have been seated next to Jensen or Daniil and not thought more than, hmm, those are some pretty people. But I also sort of love that family business is also a family affair for me and my brother. Although we were born and raised in Dripping Springs, Texas, I've since moved out of state and he's left for Austin. But now every time I'm in town, we make it a point to go to family business. It's become our sibling reunion spot. We've been there for crawfish and a pre-wedding welcome party. We sat on the patio in sweltering summer days and rainy post-holiday winter evenings, it's become our spot where we can order a flight and sit for hours, just catching up on each other's lives. And sometimes those mini reunions, when we visited for the crawfish boil last year, can get a little crazy. Then again, if you've been listening to this podcast all about the supernatural fandom, I'm sure you can see why. Actually, opening day of FBBC is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I'll let Gino tell the story. We finally got the the space finished out as as best we could and decided we were going to do kind of a soft, semi-quiet opening. And so I think with maybe two or or three days notice, we kind of whispered out on the internet like, hey, we're going to open our doors on this day for, for a soft opening. Uh, you know, we were still running around kind of trying to put the finishing touches on the tap room and get everything organized uh, before we opened the door. But we could see that there were there were a few people out there. We had no idea that there was a thousand people standing outside the door on day one. We opened the doors and we're like, hey, welcome, everybody. Turns out when you have a famous sister and brother-in-law, you might just get bum rushed as soon as fans hear about the new tap room. Apparently, the line didn't just go out the door. It basically went down the street. Oh my God. It was like four or five across and it went all the way down uh, about a 40 foot uh, handicap ramp and staircase and then all the way down the driveway uh, to Hamilton Pool Road. It was bananas. Getting lots of business when you first launch is good. It's great, in fact. 
but not when you're expecting a small soft launch and now suddenly have piles of thirsty customers waiting to try the new brews. I think we had maybe six people that were that were here ready to work, uh, Daniil included. And uh, we had two little iPads uh, that we were going to ring people up, you know, that the, this particular point of sale, I think, was more for like a very casual laid back coffee shop, not a high volume, you know, you know what to the walls kind of just insanity right off the bat. And of course, one of the computers goes down immediately because something in some big uh, technical tower in the back office got unplugged. So no working technology, not many people manning the taps, and a sea of people to get through. Gino and the team quickly pivoted. We're like, uh, okay, we'll do a cash bar. So, I mean, but who has cash these days, you know, or, or even back in 2018? So we, we had a small uh, group of people that, that uh, got to kind of cut the line, but it was absolute and utter chaos. And to this day, when I meet people and they're like, oh yeah, man, I was there for your, for, uh, you know, the opening weekend. I'm like, I am so freaking sorry. Not to be constantly drawing comparisons, but I remember the launch party for my husband's rum distillery. He wanted to be sure to get the word out, but we ended up with way more people than there were seats at the bar, or even allowed space in the building. We had friends seated on the patio as it snowed for that February launch party. So I can relate to Gino's experience at least a tiny bit. We ended up actually hiring uh, two people out of the tap room, like literally Jensen's like, we need some help. And two guys stood up, uh, Marvis Dixon and uh, Doc Renfro, uh, both ex-military guys. So, you know, you can always count on them. And, uh, and both of them worked uh, for us for years afterwards from literally hired on the spot. And, and man, we were, we were so thankful. It does seem to have settled out into a more regular flow since that initial flood. And if you're a fan who hasn't been out to Family Business Beer Company, you might be wondering what the vibe of the place is. Besides the name having a twofold meaning, the taproom and surrounding grounds aren't covered in SPN paraphernalia. The interior is stained wood with high top benches and tables in an open, airy space. There's no baby, not usually, no angel blades, and honestly, nothing that would give it away to the normies. And that's on purpose. And so that, that was a pretty serious conversation that we had early on. And, you know, J Jensen and I were, were definitely eye to eye on that one. You know, uh, for, from people that aren't in the fandom, it could be viewed as like, oh, it's just kind of a, a gimmick type of brewery. And, you know, our, our passion about beer was was rock solid and, and really just making real high quality beer was, was the, the utmost importance. Family Business Beer Company is about the beer showing off the interesting and unique brews and how they fit into an already crowded craft beer scene around the Austin area. We wanted to make sure that there was a, a clear definition between what the brewery does as far as making high quality beers and having that, that built in fan base. Family business just happens to get a little family help. We do have that, that element of you know, celebrity status uh, with, with Jensen and that kind of stuff. But moving into a, a city that's known for its craft beer industry, we wanted to make sure that uh, it was understood right out of the gate that the beer was, was the rock star. I just have to cut in here and say that it wasn't always the case for Central Texas. As someone who was born and raised out in Dripping Springs, a.k.a. Drip, when it was a one-stoplight town, we had all sorts of liquor prohibitions on the books, and it was hard to find a decent beer at the grocery store. 
In fact, my dad used to homebrew beer for himself and make root beer for us kids to make up for the lack of options. But I digress. The Austin area now has a well-established craft beer scene that family business has to compete in on their own merits. And I think they definitely hold their own. They certainly have the regulars to show for it. We built our our, our uh, base of regulars that, that live out here and people that have moved out to the area that, that come out and uh, and just love the, the beer and the space and the pizza and all that. And it's funny, every once in a while, when Jensen's here, you know, he might be out in the Grove and he's got his sunglasses and hat and all that kind of stuff. And somebody's like, I think that's him. So they'll walk over and be like, excuse me, Mr. Ackles. And then when one person sees that, uh, okay, and a contact has been made, you know, somebody's initiated contact, then two or three people. And then all of a sudden you've got this line of people waiting to talk to this one guy and the regulars are like, what the hell is going on here? Back to the fandom aspect. Uh, we had to start uh, bolting them down to uh, the ground and concrete blocks and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so there, there are a few people out there. They might be listening right now. That we love that sign back. Apparently, the original sign for the brewery on Hamilton Pool Road was a hand-painted creation by Daniil, and it uh, walked off the property, never to return. <laughs> it's a bit like the real Abbey Road having no street signs because they keep getting stolen. Apparently, the SPN family has a few members with sticky fingers. It also explains why when I had Misha Collins sign a metal beer sign that I bought at Family Business— he asked if I had stolen it. I later told Jensen what Misha said, and he just laughed. Uh, we had branded glassware. So we wanted, you know, when people came, came in, they could see the family business logo on the glassware, not realizing that, you know, with about eight people working and everybody's running around in the tap room, taking care of beers, busting tables, that I think it was 1,100 pieces of glassware just happened to walk off the property. And like, oh, okay, so uh, bad idea. By the time I made my first visit to family business, the glassware was the plain, unmarked pint glasses that were much less likely to disappear mysteriously. We had to bolt everything down, but less than that. The upside of having so many fans of Supernatural turn up is the brewery gets visitors from all over. We, we, we normally say that they, they've made a pilgrimage from, uh, from wherever they come from, but we, we've had people from um, New Zealand, Australia, India, Pakistan, um, all over the UK, let's see, Switzerland, Ireland, Scotland, Germany, France, I mean, you name it, and we've probably had somebody here. We were talking about maybe putting up a big map on the wall where people could put uh, push pins of, of where they're from, but all, all different types of people from all over the world, all, all different types of uh, walks of life. Gino's mom, Debbie, agreed. You know, every time we come out here, we meet different different fans that have come. People come from literally all over the world. Back to Gino. And we still have a ton of people that uh, that live in Dripping Springs that have never heard of us. You know, so so we're almost kind of like an undiscovered gem for a lot of the locals, but uh, are, are sought out by, by others. And because they get sought out by fans of Supernatural, or The Boys, or Big Sky, Anyways, because Family Business is a destination for many fans, they end up with a lot more folks who aren't beer drinkers coming in. Or at least aren't beer drinkers yet. 
that, that was something that, that we, we understood pretty early on is that a lot of people that were coming out here were, were coming to see Jensen's Brewery and, and kind of experience it firsthand. And a lot of them weren't really familiar with craft beer. So we kind of took that responsibility seriously that, hey, we, we are going to be that first beer that they try that's craft beer. Even Debbie said she wasn't much of a beer drinker. Uh, I'm single malt scotch whiskey person. But part of being a brewery is about introducing people to new beers they've never tried before, or even just the different categories of beer to begin with. And as the craft beer scene has grown, folks like Family Business have learned how to present new beers for a novice audience. When you go to a winery, you know, you hear you hear the story about, you know, these different wines. And then by the time you get to try them, you really appreciate the, the time and the creativity and the passion that went into them. And so it's the exact same thing with beer. But yeah, we, we took that responsibility uh, seriously to, to make sure that we were going to be good stewards for the craft beer industry. Non-beer drinkers might assume that all beer tastes like the cheap lagers they first tried at a college party or snuck from their parents' fridge. But there are so many different styles of beer. Lagers and ales, dark brews and lighter, crisp summer drinks, smoky styles and sours. You just have to learn a bit about the profiles of flavor that you prefer. It's a development of your taste buds. And so I'm not an IPA person, but man, Nate has hit it on one called Critical Liquid. Critical Liquid is a juicy IPA with tropical fruit notes. If you're a classic West Coast-style hophead, it might not work for you. But it is a great starter beer for those who like a lot of fruit-forward flavors to shine through. And the Nate that Debbie referred to was the previous head brewer at Family Business. Our new brewer's name is Cosmo Sarantino, and uh, he's as cool as his name sounds, for sure. (laughs) And he makes fantastic beers. After this episode, I hope you'll consider taking a little pilgrimage down to my hometown. Hell, make an Austin weekend of it and visit San Jack Saloon, a bar that's co-owned by Jared Padalecki in Austin. Austin has changed a lot since my childhood days, and not always for the better, like the climate change-induced killer summer heat and the insanely unaffordable housing market. But I, I still think it's worth the visit. Just, if you do visit, be a polite fan. Otherwise, you'll end up featured in one of Gino's stories. And then uh, as far as some of the weird stuff, we've, we've had people leave some, some questionable things uh, on the property. I know one time we were really busy. The whole grove was packed and my, my taproom manager came, uh, came over to me and he's like, hey, there's this uh, thing hanging in uh, one of the trees. I was like, oh boy. I was like, did you take it down? He was like, I think you just need to look at it. I'm like, okay. So we go to the back of the grove and it is just a severed doll head, you know, that like one of these creepy looking dolls, just the head uh, hanging from a tree. And so we walk up and it's facing us and I'm like, boy, that's disturbing. And it's like right by the playground and and families are, are looking at it like, what the hell's going on? And I was like, all right, well, let's get this thing down. And when I grabbed it and like turned it, it had Jensen written on the back of it. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Yep. Let's, uh, let's get this uh, out of here. Like, sorry, folks. And just, uh, Did a three-point shot into the trash can. (laughs) Thankfully, these kinds of occurrences are rare. The more common version isn't things left in person, so much as it is odd mail that gets delivered to them. Uh, And then we've definitely gotten some some odd things uh, sent to us uh, in the mail. So uh, obviously, I'm willing to take one for the team. So if Jensen gets a package, I open it to make sure it's uh, it's nothing too weird or scary or, uh, you know. 
I guess since Jensen's address isn't public, and with good reason, gifts that would normally be shipped to him are instead mailed to the brewery. Gino described some of the gorgeous art he's seen over the years. Charcoal sketches and paintings and other handcrafted gifts. Although sometimes even those can end up being weird in their own right. Or they'll they'll uh, draw a picture or paint a picture or something like that. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. And I turn around, there's like a, a clipping of hair, like taped to the back of it. Like, <laughs> all right, once again. Rather than just trashing these packages, Gino and his staff decided to put them on display. Just not for public viewing. For, for a long, long time, the, the real odd things we had, uh, we had hung up in our bathroom. And so Jensen would come in and we just, it was like a, it was like a freak show art gallery. And he'd walk in and it's like, boy, huh? Like, yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate that. You know. It became a sort of in-joke for the staff and Jensen, seeing what new items got added to the bathroom gallery. And then all the staff knew it was in there, you know, so they'd go in and like you could, you could spend 20 minutes in there just like looking around at all the new crazy weird stuff. And uh, and Jensen, anytime he would come in, he's like, oh, is there anything new? Like, oh, we got this one. You know, so he, he'd look at that. But just because the staff was in on the secret didn't mean it didn't still cause confusion. But then we'd have like a delivery guys, you know, that were dropping off ingredients and that kind of stuff. Uh, or UPS guy or somebody like that. And they're like, hey, man, do you have a bathroom I can use? Like, yes, but... We have to at least explain what's going on in there. And they normally come out and their eyes are huge, like, wow. Like, yeah, yeah, you might want to stop elsewhere. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny nonetheless. I won't lie. The last time I visited family business over the Labor Day weekend, I was so looking forward to seeing this art collection for myself. But when I asked Gino about it, he told me they'd been on a cleaning spree and had cleared it out. There was a picture of Gino, Daniil, and Jensen with googly eyes glued on, but none of the other art made it, sadly. That said, while the staff bathroom is no longer a gallery of the weird, that actually presents us with a unique opportunity. After chatting with Gino, he agreed to let me run a little contest. You can send your best, your weirdest, your most creative fan art to the brewery. I'll have the address written in the show notes. You must tie the piece back to the family business beer company in some fashion, whether that be using their logo, slogan, or some of the other design elements. Gino and a panel of judges that he selects will be in charge of determining the winners. Besides having your art proudly displayed in the new bathroom art gallery, winners are also going to get a swag prize from the brewery. So make sure that you send in your art by December 15th to be eligible to win. And seriously, guys, let's make it weird. Editorial support was provided by Dr. Anna Funk. Music was composed and performed by Chris Scott. Cover art was designed by Liz Hand. Thanks to One Crafty Chickadee, Ditch Lily Tiger, Wayward Photographer, Meg, Rupert Gaze, Danny, and Marissa for supporting the show through Kofi. In Defense of Fandom was made possible through an unhealthy obsession and your support via Kofi. If you're not already supporting the show and you'd like to, you can find a link in the show notes to our Kofi. Your support is deeply appreciated. 
Oh, and don't forget, if you donate any amount on the Kofi, you'll get access to some of the full raw interviews conducted during this season. The conversation with Rachel Miner is already out, as is the full interview with Billy Moran and Steve Norton of Loud and Swain. And we worked, we worked for months on trying to get all of this organized and it was gonna be great. And there weren't gonna be any long lines and nobody would have to wait for beer or for food, uh, for crawfish or for the bathroom or anything along that line. It's gonna be sweet. And then Jensen went online and he was like, well, if you're down in Austin, Texas, uh, come on out to the crawfish boil. I know I'm gonna eat 20 pounds. And all that went out the window. We got destroyed. And we're sitting there with our, with our, our face in our hands, like, oh my God, you know, once again. I like that you're like, there's this weird dichotomy of like, we would like to have big groups, but not that big. So so Jensen's not allowed to tweet anymore. Like no more. Oh yeah, no, he, we, we took his phone away from him. He's, he's not allowed anymore. <laughs>